Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, Battle Ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Uh, Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who from living and chosen stones prepare an eternal dwelling for your majesty, increase in your church the spirit of grace you have bestowed, so that by new growth your faithful people may build up the heavenly Jerusalem. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the feast day of the dedication of the Basilica of St. John Lateran in Rome. And I will get to that in a moment. First, we have some interesting news coming out of the Vatican. Evidently, um, a new document's been published uh, from the Vatican, which was promulgated, I guess, today. It's been put forth, but it was originally approved on Halloween of all days, October 31st, by Pope Francis, saying that transgender people can be baptized in the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, And the second part of this document says uh, that they can also be godparents at uh, baptisms and witnesses at church weddings. That's also very interesting because the requirements to be a godparent are fairly stringent. I don't know if you're aware, but you must be a practicing Catholic. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1255 says that godparents should be firm believers, able and ready to help the newly baptized on the road of Christian life. Godparents must therefore have a strong and living faith and should be supportive of or even instrumental in the catechesis and ongoing formation of the newly baptized person. Canon law stipulates certain minimal qualifications of godparents. Uh, Canon number 874 says, first, the godparents must be chosen by the parents, or in certain cases, appropriately acting in their place, and the godparents must have the capacity and intention to serve as godparents. Secondly, godparents must normally be 16 years old. Third, a godparent must be a Catholic in good standing, who's been confirmed and has received the Holy Eucharist, and this person must be living a life of faith, as befits the role of a godparent. And finally, the godparent cannot be the father or mother of the person being baptized. So those are the clear rules. So I suppose if you fit into those parameters as a transgender person, that would work. Um, But I must say the transgender people I've been in discussion and dialogue with, for the most part, reject huge tenets of our faith, large swaths of the The catechism are just completely eliminated from their belief uh, because it doesn't mesh with uh, their lifestyle. So I don't think it changes much um, personally because the Pope in his little document he put out also said uh, that the – where is it now? There we go. That the – transgender person uh, cannot have a situation 
in which there's a risk of generating a public scandal or disorientation among the faithful. So, you know, uh, I, I don't know how you could, would do that. Um, it seems that the, that would generate a large public scandal. Uh, also, one of the rules for uh, a godparent is you you don't need two godparents. Minimum is you must have one. Can be a man or a woman. But when you have two, one must be a man and one must be a woman. And this document doesn't address how we stipulate that. So if you have a man who says he's a woman who wants to be a godparent and another man who wants to be a godparent, um, are we saying we're going to call the man a woman, even though he's a man, and get around that rule? I don't know. This is, again, more confusion coming from the Vatican. Very confusing, you know? And again, I, I don't understand how we are not recognizing that God assigns a gender alone, just God. Why we would placate people thinking they can assign their own genders, I don't understand this. Uh, once again, confusion, confusion, confusion. Confusion is not the calling card of God. It's the calling card of the enemy. And this is very confusing, to be honest. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, Cardinal Fernandez, you know, he's the one who's kind of in charge now, uh, the prefect of the DDF, the doctrine, the Castery for the Doctrine of the Faith. It used to be the CDF, now it's a DDF. Uh, this is a post Cardinal Ratzinger held when things were not confusing, ironically. But now these days, things are very confusing. So we need to be praying all the more for Holy Mother Church and her leaders so that we would not have confusion and that truth would reign supreme because truth incarnate is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ, who was a man through and through, never doubted his being a man. Uh, so again, pray an extra rosary today for the church that uh, she would come into the fullness of the truth in all matters. Uh, that's a weird statement, but you know, the church is always... The divine part of the church is always in the fullness of the truth. It's the man-made parts that suffer uh, confusion at times. Anyway, let's move on. Enough about that. Uh, I can just tell you, though, this is going to create headaches. <laughs> I can see it coming. Maybe not so much in my little diocese, but certainly in the bigger ones, in the big cities. So today we honor this church. You know, it's not just the church, the building. It's the what it stands for. So you must know that every bishop has a cathedral. And in the cathedral is a chair, a very special chair, that's called the cathedra. And that chair is the chair that represents the seat of the bishop, the one who stands in place of Jesus. And... Uh, for the Catholic Church, the Universal Catholic Church, uh, we we have that at the, this Church of St. John Lateran. That's the, the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. That's his church. And as the Bishop of Rome, he is also the Bishop, the Pope of the world. So um, 
it's the Bishop C, you could say. Uh, it's usually a chair that's fairly pronounced and rather ornate. In our Diocese of Nashville, it's made of white marble and has a um, a back on it that's been, uh, it's almost like a custom upholstery on top of the marble with the um, diocesan crest. And uh, only the bishop sits in that chair. Even if a priest is celebrating Mass in the cathedral, he does not sit in the bishop's chair. Uh, only the bishop can sit in that chair. So today we're celebrating this day of this church. Now, if I were to ask 100 people, what's the official uh, Basilica of Rome that represents the Catholic Church? I would think most people would say St. Peter's because all of, or not all, but many, 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 most of our great liturgies of the year for the church in Rome are within St. Peter's. You know, the Christmas liturgy, um, the Easter vigil, all of it, it's all at St. Peter's. But in fact, it's not St. Peter's that's the uh, the head of, of uh, the church. It's the Basilica of St. John Lettering. Why is that? Well, the answer lies in history. And uh, I know this isn't something particularly uh, that's going to strengthen you in your battle against the demons of the world. So this is an, more of a historical episode of Battle Ready. But it's good to know. You have to know the history of the church to be fluent in discussing her. So the Basilica of St. Peter, Peter is literally right next to uh, where the Pope's residence is currently. So it's just convenient, I would say, for the Holy Father to go to that church for many of these events. But in the first three centuries of the church, so the 100s, the 200s, um, and the, uh, the, the first century leading up to 100, the Christians were just trying to stay alive, to be quite honest. There were no public churches, because if there was a public church, they would be martyred. So churches were celebrated privately in homes, underground, in the catacombs, where they were burying the martyrs, in hidden places. And it wasn't until the Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, and then the famous Edict of Milan in the year 313, that allowed Christians to practice their religion in public. And in fact, Constantine didn't just allow it. He was a huge promoter. He was building many churches. He was putting the cross on uh, all the flags of the kingdom. So in this great effort to uh, move and advance Christianity forward, uh, suddenly all these churches are built in public. Religion is public. And uh, he was given a palace in Rome that belonged to a very wealthy family called the Lateranus family. And after he converted to Christianity, he in turn gave that palace to the Pope as a gift to the church. And so the palace was adapted to become a church, and it was dedicated on November 9th in the year 324. Uh, this day, 1,699 1, years ago today, it was the dedication of that church. So that's why we celebrate it today. And the Pope lived at the Lateran Palace for about a thousand years. And that basilica was his cathedral. And uh, initially it was called the Basilica of the Savior, but 
then it was also dedicated to St. John the Baptist and St. John the Evangelist. So over time, it just started being called the Basilica of St. John Lateran after the family that donated the property. Now, the papacy has been in rough spots before. One such was when we had uh, you know, three alleged popes at the same time. The pope um, transferred uh, the papacy down to France, to Avignon, for about 100 years. And the condition of the Lateran uh, Basilica greatly deteriorated. Uh, so much so that when the papacy finally returned to to Rome, the Pope lived in two other locations before finally settling into the property next to St. Peter's, which is where currently the residence of the Holy Father is. So you can see how over time in history how this has all evolved. You could say that many times um, the Basilica suffered destruction by many, many attacks over the years for hatred of the Catholic Church. Uh, in twice in in the fifth century, it had severe attacks. Uh, in 896, it had uh, suffered much damage due to an earthquake, and it was destroyed by fire in the 14th century, not once but twice. But it continues to be rebuilt and restored, and uh, today it's visited in the last century, I would say, by an enormous number of pilgrims every year, and not just because of its beauty. Um, because it has many very interesting relics within it. One such relic is a wooden altar on which St. Peter celebrated Mass uh, when he was in Rome. It's inside the main altar. Uh, it was also believed the heads of Peter and Paul wants to believe uh, believed to be inside the bus above, above the main altar. And part of the table on which the Last Supper was celebrated is behind a bronze depiction of the Last Supper. You notice all these things are kind of hidden, but nonetheless there. Uh, and at one time, the holy stairs that Jesus ascended to be sentenced by Pilate also was in the Lateran. Uh, they were marble steps, but are now covered with wood and sort of uh, fiberglass for protection. And pilgrims would come and they would they would go up the stairs on their knees contemplating Jesus' passion. And of course, many of these items, as well as the relics of the true cross, of the nails that were used to uh, hold Jesus on the cross, um, the crown of thorns, they were all discovered and brought to Rome by Constantine's mother, St. Helena. So uh, we can thank her for all these wonderful gifts the church has been um, uh, bestowed with. Now, what can we take away from this today? Well, interestingly enough, you know, celebrating the dedication of the Pope's cathedral uh, would always signify our unity with the Pope and our love and respect for him. You know, that's what it's it's really the the, the sentiment behind the day. But it also shows that we're all united with each other in the church. You know, we're part of the mystical body of Christ, connected through Jesus. You know, he's the head, we are the body, and he connects us to the Father and the Spirit. St. Paul uh, described this unity in the church in one of his letters to the Corinthians. I believe, it, yes, it's the first letter, um, and calling it the body of Christ. And he said this, For as with the human body, which is a unity, although it has many parts, 
all the parts of the body, though many, still make making up one single body, so it is with Christ. We were baptized into one body in a single spirit, Jews and as well as Greeks, slaves as well as free men, and we were all given the same spirit to drink. Now Christ's body is yourselves, each of you, with a part to play in the whole. So he, he saw it right away in the beginning that the mystical body would have this unique um, place in the world, so to speak. And the, the readings, if you've been to Mass, the first reading we heard today uh, was from Ezekiel. Uh, and it talks about a river flowing from the temple in Jerusalem, bringing life everywhere it went. And we can see you know, how that would be a metaphor for the grace coming from the church out to the whole world. And uh, the second reading was from 1 Corinthians 3. You are God's building, the foundation, that is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone of the church of our lives. And it's through him that this life-giving water flows out to us and to the whole world. It's really a beautiful image when you think about it. Uh, And an important one, especially in the days we live, you know. Uh, I was at a little mini mission last night up about uh, 30 miles north of here and many confessions I mean I would say hundreds of people waiting for confession uh, so we had uh, you know two two periods where we were hearing confessions many 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 long lines many people are so suffering you know I can just I can't reveal details but let me tell you when I tell you people are suffering uh, in this world with uh all the many things that are happening, but not the least of which is many children and grandchildren have left the faith and it's causing great distress on the parents and grandparents. And you could see why. Uh, Many people ask me, what do I say to them? What do I say to my children that have left the church? Well, what can you say? I mean, all you can do is lay out why we love Jesus I mean, that's the basic premise that you have to go to. Why do we love Jesus? Why do we love him? Well, he's the only one that died for me. And he's the only one that had the power to open heaven and ransom all of us from the devil and from ultimate death. So this was a mission to bring forth new life in his people, which he did. What what more could you ask to love somebody for? I mean, nobody can do that but him. And I would I would say... You know, when you say that to somebody, if you say that to a child, even if it's a grown adult child, what possibly could their response be? You know, if they say, I don't care, there's just a hardness of heart there. And I would say the only way to penetrate that kind of hardness of heart is going to be um, through prayer and fasting and a consecration of that person to the Blessed Virgin Mary. She can crack open hardened hearts. She has a gift for doing that. So if you have a child or a grandchild that seems to be uh, just so full of arrogance and pride to say they don't care that God rescued them from eternal death, um, I guess it's a combination of ignorance as well. They probably don't understand it. But they really need to know it, you know? 
And what we go to church to thank him, one, to praise him, to adore him, and then secondly, to feed on his body and blood that nourishes our soul and, and, and brings new graces into our lives to further advance his kingdom and to further uh, grow in virtue. But if that's not important to somebody, then don't argue with them because there's nothing else you can say. If they don't, if they don't buy that premise, then I would just say you commend them into the arms of Our Lady, and uh, you pray for her intentions, and she'll pray for yours. Make a deal with her. Say, Blessed Mother, I'm going to pray for your intentions for the rest of my life, and I give you my kids, and you please take them into your intentions. Do whatever you want with them. You know, give her complete permission. Do whatever you want with them. I'll accept whatever comes. And it may be suffering. Suffering has a way of converting hearts. So don't be upset if if uh, some sort of little tragedy enters their lives where they have to, it's a wake-up call. It'd be better to have a, some kind of a chastisement now and wake up to the fact that we need God than to go through your life and die without ever realizing that you you really did need God, but you didn't accept him, and now it's too late. Makes sense? Makes sense to me. This is a great burden on parents in these days we live. Uh, and, of course, Thanksgiving's always that time when there's many awkward conversations around the table, right? Religion is in many places banned from discussion politics has been banned from discussion um i suppose all we're allowed to talk about are football games but that's just how it is in a lot of homes my home wasn't like that we pretty much could talk about anything not that everybody agreed with everything that was said but you could you could speak freely for the most part a few years we had some arguments but usually not of course, it would be best to go to Mass on Thanksgiving. It's not a holy day of obligation. It's a holiday. Holidays are not holy days. But it's a day to give thanks. So if you're going to give thanks to anybody, shouldn't it be the Lord? I mean, seriously, if you're going to give thanks, who are you giving thanks to? It should really be God who gives us every blessing and gift. Everything we have comes from God except our sins. And those he also wants us to give him, give us, give us our sins over to him that he can wash us clean. You know, he's, he's all goodness. And I don't, it's, it's baffling to me when I see people so hostile towards Jesus. Uh, just today, for example, you know, not to slander a particular religion, but you know, it, I'm just reporting the facts there's a story in the news today about a woman who is severely burned uh, because her Muslim husband discovered she converted to Christianity and then just set her on fire to kill her. That's a great animosity towards Christians right there. You know, if, if, you're, if you're not Muslim in some countries, you're the infidel. And you have to be exterminated if you don't convert. That's the truth. I'm not just, you know, making that up. That's just the way it is. Uh, so, you know, that kind of hatred towards Jesus can only come from hell. It can only come from hell. 
the devil hate the devil hates him that much, and he influences people's minds to that um, bent of logic that Christianity is evil and that it has to be crushed. Along with these days, Judaism. So it's interesting to note, you know, our our roots as Catholics come out of the Jewish religion. You know, Jesus was born into a Jewish home, had Jewish parents, and those are the two religions that are so being uh, really attacked, Christianity and Judaism, because the devil knows the power. Well, that's about it for today. I am hoping uh, you'll have some good questions for tomorrow for Ask the Exorcist. If not, we've got a few that have come in through the email account. Um, happy to be back with you, and I will answer those questions tomorrow. May Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This is Father Dan, signing out. Thank you so much for listening to the Radio Maria podcasts. It's thanks to listeners like you who donate that enable us to continue delivering quality content to listeners around the world. If you'd like to contribute and help us keep spreading the message of Our Lady's Son, please consider making a donation. You can reach us at 888-408-0201 or simply visit our donations tab on our website at radiomaria.us. Your generosity truly makes a difference. This has been a Radio Maria production.